reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, and I invite your hearing of God's word with faith and reverence. Romans chapter 2. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is uh, quite sad to... um, Uh, watch uh, our churches and our uh, culture uh, become manifestly lawless. And the answer to that lawlessness is that uh, God is uh, God of justice and there is biblical law. And all will be judged by that law. They will not be judged by feelings. Uh, God uh, will not accept excuses. Um, The one I hear seemingly more often than not in recent days is, Phil, if you only knew how spiritual I was, or I am, he's not going to judge people on their spirituality. He's going to judge everyone based on the law. And the end time judgment, if you understand that, that God is a God of justice and that there is biblical law, then the end time judgment that we will all confront is really going to be a terrifying affair. Uh, Because God is not just a God of justice, He is an omniscient God. He knows the secret things of our hearts. He has been in every closet that we have attempted to hide things in. And not only that, he knows the motives, intentions of our heart. That's the God that will examine all of us, saved and lost. But thank God that not only is there law, but there's also the gospel. In the verses before us, particularly verses 12 to 15, uh, again, The law will judge all of us. And then in verse 16, the perfect Christ, the God-man, will judge us as well. The judgment seat of Christ before which all of us will appear. How can you? How can you offer excuses before Christ, the God-man, who suffered every temptation to a degree that is unimaginable to all of us because he never broke. Never broke. So be careful of fashioning excuses before the perfections of the God-man. 
And so the universal standard in the end time judgment is the law, the justice of God. Uh, the, the text before us is really an explanation of verse 11, that there's no partiality with God. God's going to judge by the law, everyone. You've already uh, learned time and again that there's no excuse. Uh, but the Jews, of course, and the Gentiles have excuses. Uh, the Apostle Paul is going to vanquish them. Uh, he says the Gentiles will perish with their law. And the Jews will be judged by their law, and they're going to perish too. But the law catches everyone and binds them over for judgment. Uh, but thankfully, not all are condemned. Uh, the Jews have a have a very good excuse, I think, that we should get, they will say, special treatment uh, because uh, we have a covenant with God under the Mosaic Law. They were the guardians and transmitters of that covenant through successive generations. And they revere, of course, uh, Moses and his law. I mean, even today, there are Jews that attempt um, to keep all the law. I, I forget how many commandments there are, like over 600. They keep, they keep them all. And those that they don't keep, they do self-atonement. By the way, self-atonement does, I mean, that's dangerous ground. To go before a perfect God doing self-atonement. It's like doing brain surgery on yourself. It's just never going to work. Never going to work well, to be sure. There'll be a mess. Uh, but that's just simply modern Judaism. They keep the law. And uh, they make up tons of law on top of it to be guardians of that law. Um, I mean, if I was a Jew, I would say, you know, God, uh, during the Babylonian captivity, remember, we developed the Babylonian text that's the basis, really, of our Old Testament today. How special is that? And then... God, we gave you the Masoretes, who eight, nine hundred years AD developed a vocalic system to preserve the biblical text. Really, when you read the Hebrew Bible today, it's, the, it's called the Masoretic text. I mean, that's like we kept the archives. Aren't we special? Uh, Paul's answer. Yeah, verse 13. Not the hearers of the law, but the doers will be justified. See, it's the doers of the word. I mean, it's the same thing James says. He alludes to these texts. You know, we, we've talked about James says, uh, not merely hearers, it's doers. Uh, faith without works is dead. Um, I have so many friends that say, Phil, I don't, I don't go to church because I'm spiritual and I have church when I go out into nature and that's where I meet God. See, that's a wonderful testament to your spirituality, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work for God because there's biblical law and the law catches that. Hopefully it catches people early in the game before their deceptions carry them away with the flood tide of judgment. Because that's the standard. And because God is perfect, His standard is perfect. 
I would have never gotten through calculus had my professor not graded on the curve. There is no curve in in the end time judgment. All will be caught, bound over. Uh, minus minus some that we will discuss in a moment. Uh, even even in uh, the Old Testament, um, obedience obedience was to be total. I mean, let's. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27 uh, in verse 26. It's really an important text that the Apostle Paul will use in Galatians uh, chapter 3. Uh, so let's read first Deuteronomy 27 uh, verse 26. Um, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people agreed to that. And I'd have, I'd have been raising my hand at that point. But nonetheless, let's turn very quickly to the Apostle Paul who uses this text in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. So obedience was total. No excuses, no curve, no mulligans. Total obedience. Uh, that's why when you read, for example, Exodus 19, and uh, Christ comes upon Mount Sinai, visible, visible expression of the glory of, of God, and there's thunder and lightning and earthquakes. Uh, the people were told, do not touch the mountain or you'll die. And the people were terrified because God, God's going to deliver the law and then hold them accountable. Delivers it to Moses. Uh, that becomes a hint that well, all will be judged by the law, not all are condemned. But nonetheless, um, it's the same thing. You know, my all of us who have dear friends that say, "I'm I'm I'm pretty good at keeping. Uh, I'm pretty good at it." Jesus comes and takes the law in the Sermon on the Mount. What's he do to the law? Because he's the lawgiver. I remind you of that. He was, he was president. He was present. Uh, pardon me, Exodus 19. Transmits the law to Moses. Now he comes to his people in his visible presence. And because of his visible presence, he intensifies it. He says it's not just what you do. It's what you think. Who can stand before that lawgiver? and say, I'm innocent. I'm spiritual. He has just ransacked every excuse and brought all under judgment. Great illustration of this is that not in Revelation chapter 6, the final three verses. Uh, it's uh, a text that speaks to the second coming of Christ. And verse 15 says, all the kings and the judges and the wise men and all the slaves and free and everyone flees. Hear the text. From the face of the Lamb and Him who sits upon the throne. I mean, they're terrified. Absolutely. Why is that? Because their time has come. The great lawgiver has come to exact price and duty. 
And so they flee to the mountains and to the hills and hide in the holes and they say, oh, mountains fall upon us, cover us and hide us from him who sits upon the throne. For the terrible day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? No one can stand before the law of God. And they will all be caught in the end time judgment. That's why, by the way, uh, one of my favorite sayings is, if you understand the law of God, it should chase you to Jesus Christ. Because apart from Him, the law is going to catch you. None will escape it. Well, the Gentiles, verses 14, 15, they're condemned too, but, uh, but they have a pretty good excuse as well. Um, they say, you know, we're exempt because Moses did not give us the law. Paul answers that. He says, well, you have the law too. It's written on your hearts, in your conscience, in your thoughts. I mean, we know uh, that it's wrong to steal. It's wrong to commit murder. We just know it innately. Why is that? Why is it that Gentiles who don't have the Ten Commandments uh, have that? Because God wrote it on their hearts. He gave them a conscience. You know, by the way, one of the reasons we are so lawless today is that we have so seared our conscience about the majesty and the greatness and the perfections and the glory of God that we pay it no mind and we think we can give Him an excuse and we can trifle with Him and He won't know. Um, Be very careful about turning off the alarm of your conscience because at some point, it won't go off anymore. And the more lawless you become, the greater your judgment. Uh, so the Jews have an external legal code, but the Gentiles have an internal legal code. Uh, both are condemned accordingly because the form of the law is irrelevant. doesn't matter whether the form is your conscience or the Mosaic code that governed all of life. And so the Gentiles are without excuse too. So by the way, when your dear friend tells you they're spiritual, and that you shouldn't worry about their eternal estate, quote the law to them. Quote the Sermon on the Mount. That's tough to get by. And again, spirituality is no excuse whatsoever. Uh, And God does not do well with self-atonement. Well, worse, uh, worse, the outcome of the end state of the law is total judgment. It's worse. All are going to stand before Jesus Christ, the perfect one of all perfections, no shadow or blemish at all in his humanity. And so on the day of the final judgment, all are judged also through and by Jesus Christ, verse verse 16, uh, because he will judge the secrets of men through uh, the God-man. Um, he will judge the thoughts, the intentions, the motives, the secrets. Every closet will be opened. Every drawer pulled. I mean, it's, uh, 
I mean, Paul really alludes to all this when he says, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, when the Lord comes, he will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Luke 8, 17, for nothing is hidden that shall not become evident nor anything secret that shall not be known and comes to light. That, to me, is a terrifying thought. Should be to all of us. Um, let's, let's turn to Revelation 20. Uh, another expression in the book of the Revelation, the second coming of Christ. Revelation 6 is one. There are others. Uh, Revelation 20 is the last reference. Uh, verse 11 and I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon the throne, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not written, found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, I mean, I've made the statement, but I'll say it again, because it's bears repeating that the law will catch everyone but not all are condemned. Uh, those whose names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world uh, will escape the lake of fire that burns throughout all eternity. Uh, well, uh, that's the law. I will tell you, if you truly understand biblical law, and we are losing our grasp upon that in ch church today, it's everywhere evident. Uh, in churches, um, then we are we are we are all the more condemned. But if you truly understand that law, as you as you must, then it will surely chase you to Christ, because it will expose your secrets. It will remind you of what you have tried to hide. It will, um, in every aspect, search your heart and humble you and chase you to the Savior. Because that's one of the functions of the law. It's not here in this text, but it's one of the functions. Um, there's a hint of that. Fleeting though it is in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 13. But the doers of the law will be justified. Um, that's, that's a very... A glancing hint of the gospel. The doers of the law. How do you become a doer of the law to be justified? Uh, there's also a fairly profound theological problem in this text. I, I trust you caught it, the simplicity of the reading. If we're justified by grace, how are the doers of the law justified? I thought we weren't justified by works. Here the Apostle Paul seems to be saying the doers of the law will be justified. Uh, contrary to uh, our understanding of the doctrine of justification. Um, no exemption to judgment, but the doers of the law will be justified. Uh, well, there's some Reformed theologians that contend that it's consistent with Old Covenant, that if you obey all the law, you'll be justified, uh, even though there's no one that can obey all the law. But I, don't, I don't like that solution because in the Old Testament, 
No one was justified by the law. They were justified by Jesus Christ and his righteousness. They were justified by faith. Fairly soon, in our study of the book of Romans, Paul is going to launch into the example of Abraham, uh, who had faith and God justified him based upon the righteousness of Christ. So you see the theological problem. Here, works seemingly justified. Um, again, we are justified by faith alone. Remind you, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's summary answer to the doctrine of justification that we will soon be uh, dealing with. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. A sweetest text as there is in all the New Testament. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, if there's condemnation to everyone via the law, but those who are in Christ have no condemnation, that in and of itself should chase you in humble acceptance of Christ. So what is the theological answer to this seeming justification by works in the end time judgment? Uh, well, there is, of course, a future justification. I think that's what Paul is referencing here. And in the final judgment, our works, uh, which Christians engage in, will affirm and confirm our election that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And God will publicly vindicate us. That, I think, is what the future aspect of the justification is. There's hints of that even in the Old Testament. I mean, we read one this morning in, in our call to worship. Uh, uh, Psalm, Psalm chapter 20, uh, the 20th Psalm, pardon me, uh, verse 8, is a reference a theological reminder of a future justification. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. All will be vanquished, but some will escape condemnation. They will be justified in the future. Uh, that God will publicly make known to the world those whose names have been written in the doctrine of election. Uh, my most beautiful reference, as you know, is uh, uh, 23rd Psalm, verse 5. Thou preparest a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies, so that God will make public that he's not going to condemn us. And they will see it and be all the more angry, and they will envy us but it's too late. And there is no purgatory. It's too late. And now what does David say? My cup runs over. His table is full. His cup is running over. And goodness and mercy has followed him all the days of his life. So he's escaped condemnation. But there's a future aspect of it. When God will, in the great feast in eternity, display to the world the majesty of his grace and those whom he elected and whom he changed and who did good works. So the affirmation will be public. Uh, Greg Beale says in the end time, God's verdict will be announced to the whole world. And that announcement to the whole world is that though we were condemned by the law, 
we were accepted because of Christ. So the law should chase you to Jesus Christ. And it's due to the reality that we were declared just by the righteousness of Christ. Uh, This text, by the way, is an echo. I believe Romans chapter 2, verse 13, that speaks to a future justification by works is an echo of Isaiah chapter 45. So if you have your Old Testament, I encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Uh, because the Greek translation of the Old Testament will uh, use the exact verb and the exact tense, the future tense will be justified. But the context is really the more affirming reality. So what do we read in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 25? In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified. The English Bible says in will glory. Uh, it's really will be glorified. The Greek translation uh, will be justified and will be glorified. So the context in Isaiah 45 is the end time judgment. Parallel to Romans chapter 2. And in the end time judgment, all will confess before God. I mean, look at the text of uh, verse 23 um, and verse, verse 24. Uh, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. The lost and the saved. Everyone who goes into the end time judgment will make that confession. They will confess it either voluntarily or involuntarily. Uh, The latter will be shamed. Uh, The latter who are made to make that confession. Namely that the Lord is the Lord of all. Uh, And that he was righteous and true and judged. They will be condemned throughout all eternity. We will make that confession too. Only we will make it voluntarily. Because He was our Lord. He is our Lord. We've named His name. We've called upon Him and He has rescued us. And He will make us stand in the end time judgment. And we will be vindicated and honored by God. That's what I think the text means when we will be glorified. We'll be honored. Our vindication will be public. I mean, it'll be on Fox and CNN and Five and Nine and every other. Everyone will see that God had chosen us through Jesus Christ, justified us through Jesus Christ, granted us the ability to do good works, and now publicly makes it known. That's really our Hall of Fame. Our final induction into the greatest Hall of Fame of all eternity and all other halls of fame. And I mean, we have a hall of fame for everything in America. I mean, I'm just simply waiting for those who love peanuts. Maybe I'll get there. But I mean, there's everything. They mean nothing. This is the only one that counts when God will vindicate us and acknowledge who we are. Uh, It's very interesting. It's very interesting if you understand the Reformed doctrine of of, 
justification that there's even a hint of that reality in Isaiah chapter 45. Um, because notice in verse 24, they will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Uh, the lost will say it, but we will say it. But we will say it because it's true. Only in Christ is there righteousness. Uh, so our justification is a past event, a present event, and a future event. Our works won't justify us, but he will. Uh, thanks that he will. And thanks to all who have been chased by the law unto his uh, safety. But how does that occur? I've told you that it will occur. But how does it occur that all are condemned, but uh, some escape? Part of the answer is the doctrine of election. Uh, part of the answer is the coming of Christ, but let's explore that in terms of gospel. Said a lot about the law. Let's talk about the gospel. The reality, the evangelical reality of what it means to be chased to Christ by the law. Well, it's because God's provision for law's demands is in His Son. It's important to realize that the law has no ability to save. Not even in the Old Testament. That's why I... Disregard the answer that if you obey all the law, you'll be justified. Well, law had no ability to save. Only the righteousness of Christ, even in the Old Testament, it's the only way anyone is saved. No other way of salvation. It only condemns. It's the point of the law. The point was to chase you to Christ. To get off your knees in trembling and to fall before Him. And to call Him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And to name Him as your righteousness. For there is no other but His name. It's a perfect standard of judgment because it represents the moral character of God. Its design was to turn us to grace. Even in the Old Testament. To turn the Israelites to the grace of God in Christ. Uh, for when you grasp the gravity of breaking it and its universal condemnation of everyone that no one will escape, you cry out for grace. And that's the evangelical reality of the law, Jesus Christ. God's intent was to expose our inability that we might cry out for Christ alone, who is our ability in righteousness and in keeping the law. And that we might hide in the majesty of His perfections, and the punishment that He paid for us. That our inability to be in its demands turns us to the divine ability of Christ. And so Paul, uh, Paul says in Galatians 3, I quoted to you momentarily uh, Galatians 3.10, uh, Cursed is everyone who doesn't do all the things written in the law. And then the beauty of the majesty of the gospel in Galatians 3.13. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's the evangelical reality of the law. He became a curse for us. Uh, his act of substitution is the divine provision from the terrors of the law. First, by his active obedience. He obeyed all the law. He kept to total perfection 
all of Old Testament law. And when we receive Him by faith, the merits of His perfect obedience is charged to our account. The active obedience of Christ. Uh, passive obedience we're well versed in, but we need to recover the active obedience of Christ. Because He obeyed all the law throughout all of His life. From infancy to the cruelty of the cross, there was no shadow at all of turning in Him. And that becomes the basis of His active obedience that's charged to us. I mean, that's, that's His ability. That's why we're not condemned. Because the God the Father, the perfect judge, accepts the righteousness of His Son in our place. The majesty of the grace of God. So He obeyed it totally and completely, therefore negating its ability to condemn us. That's why the law should chase you to Christ. That's why He is so important. You absent Christ, the law will get you. And you will not escape. It's total, absolute condemnations. Secondly, He dispatches His Spirit to enable us to obey. So in grace, it's now written on our hearts. Conscience, of course, but that's another law. Uh, in grace, He writes it on our hearts. Uh, the verb to write and the object heart are constituent parts of the new covenant that the old covenant chases us to. Turn with me, if you would, to Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. Uh, talk about doing the law. Um, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33 to 34. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Uh, the Apostle John alludes to that text in John chapter 6, verse 45. Uh, no man can come to the Father except the Father who has sent me draws him. And they shall all be taught of God. Christ fulfills the new covenant. God teaches us, chases us to Christ, and writes it on our heart. And all of the taught of God come to him. Most beautiful, or one of the most beautiful expressions of the purity of the majesty of the grace of God. He had no obligation to teach you. But he taught you nonetheless as an efficacious pedagogue, bringing you to Christ and teaching you of the majesty of Christ that you might flee to him for safety. My, uh, my favorite Reformed theologian, Francis Turretin, says of God's writing His law upon our hearts that it's the diploma of our justification. We're going to graduate from the law's demands. And the law is a stern taskmaster. My calculus teacher knew nothing 
of the exacting demands of the law. But he writes his law upon our hearts. Everyone who's been a student yearns for the day of graduation. When the dean of the college gives us that diploma. We are like the sons of God. But we have a diploma now through Jesus Christ. And that diploma is our hearts and new hearts. He took away the old, Ezekiel 36, and gave us new. So what the Mosaic Covenant was able to, unable to do, God remedies in the new in forgiveness. The old kills, the new gives life. And God is the sole actor in sovereign grace. What we could not do under the old, He did in His Son. And then transfers what He did to our hearts. And the Spirit confirms it. And we have the diploma. While made initially for the failures of Israel under the law, it also encompasses Gentiles as part of new Israel in the end times. And that's the answer, ladies and gentlemen, to the devastating totality of the indictments of the all-consuming, encompassing law of God. Christ and the diploma of justification. And then when he will make it public to the whole world and show us off, almost as if we are a trophy case because what he did for us in his son. It's a compelling, if you're not a Christian, it's a compelling reason to understand the law and to have it chase you uh, to the one who obeyed it totally for his people. To have it to chase you to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the point of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why is that? Because he was condemned for us. And he did for us what we could not do. And then he took away the old and gave us the new. And leaves us with the residual diploma. I bet you most of you, and I've been in very few of your homes, but I bet most of you, somewhere in your house can get your diploma. And I bet you some of you have it framed. I've seen it. Well, let the world see your framed diploma of justification and all that it means. Not only in the sharing of the gospel, but in the doing and the majesty of the gospel that he did for us what we could not do. Provisions of his son, provisions of the spirit. So there is a law, to be sure. It condemns everyone, but not all are condemned. Uh, and that's the hope of the gospel. I trust it is your hope. And I will trust that you will treasure it all the more as you grow in your understanding of the one who gave his life a ransom, the one for the many. And oh, the joy of being numbered among the many and the joy of waiting for that day when God will parade us across that graduation stage and say to the world, See what I did for my elect. 
but let us know it and praise Him today and all the more in the rest of our days, world without end.